You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale Church. It's great to be back again and a warm welcome to all of you who are here and those who are hopefully listening online as well. It's great to be looking at our statement of faith and I hope the past messages have been giving you a good insight of what our church is about. Hopefully, you've also learned something new that you can uh, apply to your life. After all, our church statement, is, our faith is the DNA of this church. So before we begin, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive the message and to have ears to hear and hearts to listen. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you for the, script, the power of scripture and just pray to your Lord that as we meditate on your word, as we expand on your word, that you will speak to us individually and convict our hearts. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be wholly acceptable to you today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Any last words? I don't know about you, but I've always found this question interesting. If you love movies like I do, we, we hear this question a lot and often. If you listen carefully, you'll find that um, plot twists or more information starts to get revealed about the movie or what's to come next. Sometimes it's quite funny. Here is a sample of a few uh, epithets of people who have passed away and they've actually put that on their tombstones. says, go away, I'm asleep. One of them says, we finally found a place to park in Georgetown. And the last one's here, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Now that's a bit sad. Someone didn't welcome him to our party. On a more serious note, you, can, you will know that the missionary William Carey, this can be found on his tombstone even up to today. It says, A wretched, poor, and helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. What profound and deep words he had. And the late Tim Keller as well, a modern-day powerhouse of faith, said this, There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest because he knew where he was going. What about the rest of the world's religious leaders? What were their last words? Let's have a look on the, I had a look on the internet and found the following. Muhammad said, My Lord, be my witness or bear witness. And Buddha said, Work hard to gain your own salvation. You know, last words are really important, aren't they? These words will be the legacy that you leave behind for others to remember you by. It's like a summary of your life in a couple of words to tell people who you were and what you aspired for those who survived you. It's also the words that people cling to, especially people who were leaders of faith, for example. Adherents of Islam and Buddhism, for example, take the words of their faith leaders very seriously. And some are even willing to die for that faith. This makes the last words of Jesus even more important. Now, according to Matthew, to no surprise, the words of Jesus are, take my message and go and make disciples. Because in essence, Jesus has already gained our salvation. Salvation is given for all. We therefore don't have to go earning it as believers. What we do is fulfilling Jesus' last wish is to respond to His great love towards us, and part of that is to share that good news to those around us. 
you know, those who have not yet heard of which there are millions or even billions out there. Maybe you are hearing these words for the first time this morning, but these words of Jesus for many will be the umpteenth time they heard that Jesus say, go and make disciples. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh no, not this again. We just had a talk on missions. Do we really have to go through this again? Well, yes, because it's really, really important that we understand and cling on to Jesus' last command. This for our own sakes, but also for the billions of people who have yet to hear this message. It's also for their sakes. As I mentioned, oops, it's not working. Can I have the next slide, please? As I mentioned before, we are in the middle of our, oh, there you go. We are in the middle of our Statement of Faith series, and if you've missed any of the earlier ones, you can follow up on our Listen page on the website. We're in the final five, so next week will be the last of our 15 Statements of Faith, and today is number 14. And it reads, Jesus Christ sends us to make disciples of all nations, calling them to repent and believe the gospel. Now this is a natural follow-on from what we've talked about last week, about using our gifts to build up the church. But of course, if people don't come to church, sadly, it will slowly die. So this is really important for building the church and building up God's eternal kingdom, that we be people who fulfill the Great Commission or the Last Command. But before we begin, let's set the context of this verse that points to the importance of this great command. Firstly, let's look at the place where Jesus says it. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, in the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now geography is important in Matthew's Gospel, as he mentions mountains quite frequently. And, there, and they, as in the mountains in Matthew's Gospel, describe the peaks, the peaks in the landscape, of the life of Jesus that Matthew desires to introduce to us. There's the mountain of temptation in chapter 4, where Jesus will stand all the onslaughts of Satan. And there's the mountain of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about the kingdom and what it means to be in it. In chapter 14, there's the Mount of Prayer, where Jesus goes to the mountain to pray. And it's the right before his disciples make the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Now in chapter 17, there's the mountain of transfiguration, where Jesus shines like the sun, and he's between Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, which Jesus came to reveal and fulfill. Then there's the mountain of tribulation, the mountain of olives, where the massive struggle takes place, where Jesus is struggling with the whole idea of going to the cross and taking the wrath of God for our sin, your sins and mine. And finally, the mountain of triumph. This is what we'll be looking at today, as he declares his worldwide authority and also his mission. What we are looking at today is one of the mountains on the landscape of who Jesus is, and also who he wants us to be. It's the last will and testament 
of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. It's a mountain, but where is it? Now Matthew tells us that it is in Galilee. That's important too. Why? Why not Jerusalem? Logically, you think that it was where it could, where it should be. After all, it's a HQ for uh, God's people, isn't it? Instead, we get Galilee, an outpost. It's up the top there. Now, if we go to Matthew 14, we find at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he withdrew into Galilee so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death. On them, a light was dawned. It's, it's Galilee, the valley of the Gentiles. This happens in a place where Jesus has a vision to bring all the nations to himself. The gospel was not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. You and I, we are the Gentiles. This was not some kind of a secluded meeting in the back of the church to suggest that we should evangelize. This was Jesus meeting with his disciples on the front line where he wants to take them, where he wants them to take the good news to the nations. It was important to Jesus that these Gentiles will see the light. In Isaiah's prophecy, the words are in the past tense. Although it's still in the future when Isaiah wrote it. It was still in the future when Jesus was saying his words, which is interesting. Friends, God often does that. He speaks in the past tense about something that's going to happen in the future. Because when God says it's going to happen, it's as good as already happened. You might as well write it in the past tense. And this is encouraging because as we take the message out, we know it's God's plan and purpose to bring people into His family. And it's the joy to use us to do that. Now we look at the people in verse 17. You expect that disciples, when they saw Him, they would, they would bow down and worship Him, right? No, it's totally appropriate. After all, He's the Son of God. He's the risen King, risen from the dead. He's the risen Savior. But we are told that some doubted. Some were uncertain or unsure. Now isn't that amazing that not only did Jesus not abandon them, instead Jesus goes ahead and put his trust on them and gives them the greatest massive mission that's going to influence the whole of eternity. Friends, there's a certainly a lesson here that if you wait until you absolutely know everything about Jesus before you tell people about Him, you probably never do it. Or if you wait until you know all the answers that people are going to ask you about your faith, and they will come with difficult questions, you probably never do it. Because the only time when we know all the answers to everything is when we are in heaven, when we can ask God directly. But for those others, it's too late to tell them about God and it's too late for them to hear what 
God has done for them. Now, I believe that's very important for us to understand this. That no matter who we are, whether you've been a Christian for one day or a Christian for 50 years, sharing the gospel is for all of us, whether we are in our, wherever we are in our Christian life. Look, all of us have doubts. All of us have questions about different things, like why God do, did this or did that. Some may be more than others. But bear in mind this, that the people that Jesus sent to take his messages to the, to the nation had that same doubts too. The apostle, the apostle Paul tells us that this is a deliberate strategy of God to use weak and frail vessels for his messages. You see, even Paul, apostle Paul says, I'm just a jar of clay. I'm cracked. And you know that if you threw me onto the ground, I'll probably fall apart or break into pieces. But Paul tells us that this is God's strategy to reach the nations. This is to show us the surpassing power that comes from God, that belongs to God, and not us. It is not our eloquence or our presentation of the gospel that makes the message look better. It is God's work at work and His strategy is that the people will see the power and the glory of God at work through each and every one of us. Now, sorry for the long introduction. We've got lots of time, right? Nah. Now that we know the context, let's now take a look at the, at the, past, at the verse itself. Let's see what Jesus actually says. If you look at the verse, you'll see that there are six words highlighted. I've highlighted all the action words, action words like given, go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, and I am with you. Also, there are three sentences here. And it's always good when you're looking at something like this to say, how do these sentences relate to one another? Which sentence is actually the most important? Now, if you look at the second sentence, it begins with, therefore, which means is an outflow of the first sentence. And the third sentence, surely I am with you all days until the end of the age. And the last part of that sentence actually explains partially how this is going to happen. So that leaves us with the very first sentence being the most important part. And it says, all authority has been given to me on heaven on earth, because that's the key thing. And all those other things that we see in sentences two and three flows from that. Now I paraphrase the verse and added synonyms of all to the wordings. And you notice that there are actually four alls in total. And today's message will be structured around this. So we see all authority has been given. We see all nations being mentioned. It says, all I commanded. And we see all the days until the end. So let's look at this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This statement is perhaps the most fear-dispelling verses in the whole entire Bible. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven on heaven and in earth. 
What that means is that Jesus has all authority on earth. Now if you look back to Matthew's gospel, this word authority comes, quite a few, comes up quite a few times. That is, he has authority over nature, like turning water into wine. He stills storms. He reverses the causes of disease. He changed genetics of people who were deformed or blind as a result of some genetic disorder. He has authority over life and death. He brought people back from the dead. And he had authority to even lay down his own life and to take it up again. Friends, none of us, none of us can do that. He has got total authority as well to forgive sins. Now friends, that is so important for us, isn't it? Because of this, we can tell people the good news. Often we can meet people who feel so guilty about their life for the stuff that they have done. It's good news for them to hear that Jesus loves them and He's willing to forgive them and want them to come back to Him. He has authority to forgive you for what you've done. Not only that, Jesus taught with authority. That we read in Scripture how many questions, whoa, who's this? You know, he's teaching with such authority. He has authority over evil spirits and even the devil himself. Like no other person before or since, he, had, he never ever caved in the temptation to disobey God. And he has authority over his followers. You can see that in Matthew 4 and in this passage here today. This is incredibly encouraging, my friends. Isn't it? As we go in Jesus' name, that there is nothing that is beyond the control of Jesus or beyond the rule of Jesus because He has ultimate authority. So what does it mean that He has authority in heaven? Well, at the end of the Gospel, a few chapters before, you see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He's saying, He's going to be at the right hand of the Father and He has all authority in heaven as the one who came from heaven, became a man, died in our place on the cross. Jesus has the authority to make us right with God, to justify us and to make people that we share His message with right with God too. He also has the authority to give us a new start a new life, to give us eternal life that's part of what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God. He's advocating for us. And He has an authority to give you and I eternal life. When we go and make Christ known, we don't do it on our own authority. We do it in His authority. This is so you know that when you share the verse from John chapter 14, verse 6, with someone, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you, but the Father, no one comes to the Father but by me. And some people might say, Oh, gee, you're arrogant. Your response will simply be, Actually, I'm not the one that's saying it. Jesus is the one who said it. But Jesus has proved it by going to the cross and dying for you 
and for me. So that you have a way to come back to God. It's not arrogance on Jesus' part. It's actually ultimate humility. He actually did it. Made it possible for you. And it would be absolutely cruel of him if he didn't tell us that that's the only way available. So this is not arrogance. It's love. Our statement also says, we call on people to repent and believe the good news. In other words, God has a power and authority to release the people we seek to reach for Jesus from the control of Satan. And from their past and their guilt and their shame and their pride and their arrogance, whatever it is. Jesus has the complete and universal authority. So the next bit he says is therefore right. Everything else hangs on the authority of Jesus. So is all the other parts. So the second all is all nations. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' commissions is linked with therefore, sorry, Jesus' commission is linked and therefore an outflow of his authority. He is the CEO of this whole enterprise. And it's on that basis that he commands us as our Lord and our Savior. He also has the right to tell us what to do. And he does so. So what's the command? It says, make disciples of all nations. Now there are actually four verbs in the verse. There's going. There's making disciples. There's immersing or baptizing. And there's teaching. Whilst we, whilst we would mostly consider making disciples as the main action in order to make disciples we must first go. But go to somebody and speak with them about Jesus, you actually have to overcome your discomfort, your own introvert nature, or whatever it is you fear in sharing that gospel. You actually have to move towards that person, whether you're going to people in your community, or next door, or down the street, or to your friends, or to your stranger, or to a workmate. You actually have to make a move. You know, rarely will you encounter someone who will come to you and say, Hey you, tell me about Jesus, and about salvation. No, you will not find that. There are not many people like that. I wouldn't say they never, there are some, but most people won't. Friends, it has to be Intentional. We have to go. We need to create opportunities to get to know others and to introduce them to our Lord Jesus. Now this is also about the nations too. There are many nationalities here in Melbourne. Did you know that there are more than 200, 200 different nationalities in Melbourne according to a census that was done by Melbourne City Council? with over 233 languages spoken. Friends, the nations is here. With the modernization of transportation, we don't need to travel miles or very far 
to encounter the nations. God has brought the nations to your doorstep. And he, they are right here. And why has He brought them here, my friends? So you and I can go tell them this good news. You know, some people may even come from places that don't hear the gospel or where the gospel is forbidden to be taught. You know, I recall at one of our youth, uh, the, the international students' Easter camp, I had a Persian couple come to me and talk about the gospel and, and said, we, no, I never heard the gospel from where I came from. They even asked me, how was it possible then for the, my parents back home to hear this gospel that you're preaching here? Friends, when we are thinking about the Great Commission, we make the mistake of thinking it's about the missionaries or our global partners who, who have gone over there, or the pastors, they've gone over there and making sure that they are supported. That's great. That's absolutely great. But no. Jesus says, we are all sent. Not just them. Each and every one of us in this room, we are all sent by Jesus to share the good news. Every disciple is sent. We've got to get up. And we've got to move. Even if it's just in your head. You need to at least do that. Overcome those barriers. Secondly, it says make disciples. This is actually the main task. Going, baptizing, and teaching are part of how we do that. The job is only over when we have mature disciples of Christ. It's not enough just to share the good news with somebody and even to baptize them. No. Jesus wants us to make obedient, mature followers of Him. It's a huge thing to fill the role in somebody's life. Immersing or baptizing the world, the word literally means to immerse or to drown. Now, of course, we don't drown people when we baptize them in water. But the act of immersion also means to be immersed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Discipling is where we immerse people into God Himself. We learned that baptism is a symbol of that. What we're doing is we're helping people to understand what it means to be a person who lives under the rule of God the Father, who has been saved by Jesus, and who is empowered, gifted, and sent out by the Spirit. That's all nations. Whether you go somewhere else, or whether you do it here in Melbourne, or in your street, or wherever. Thirdly, all I commanded. That's the next all. Teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded. What Jesus is focusing on here is we have to teach those who we lead to Christ all the teaching of Jesus. And this is important when we share the good news with people. You know, it's lovely to tell people about the love of God, isn't it? And the forgiveness of Jesus. It's so warm and fuzzy feelings. But it's a little bit harder to tell them about the holiness of God. And if you don't turn and repent with Jesus, they'll have to pay the price for their own sins. It's so easy to lift that bit out, isn't it? 
Our statement of faith tells us that we are calling on people to repent and believe the good news, but also to turn from rebellion of God to obedience to God. This is important, and this is why we are committed as a church to teach the whole Bible, because we think that the whole Bible is what God sees as relevant. We don't cherry pick the few good bits of the Bible or preach the prosperity gospel for that reason. We don't want disciples of Jesus to have a distorted view of God and His will and His plans. Paul says that the Bible is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And that is what we want happen for all of us. So it's important when we lead people to Christ that we make sure that they are taught correctly and they are mentored or discipled. The goal of this mission is to make followers of Jesus become more and more like Jesus each day in their thoughts, in the words that they speak, in the way that they act. The last all is all the days until the end. This is about the power for telling others about Jesus. It's a wonderful promise. You know, lots of God's commands often come with a promise and a blessing. And this is no exception. Here the promise is, is the ongoing and enduring presence of Jesus with us as we go and do that task. As we go make Christ known, be he promises to go with us. He wants people to turn to Him much more than we do. And He's working to make it happen. His promise is a simple statement of fact that He would be with us all the days until the end of age. Now for those who know my testimony, you know that in my darkest time of my life, I was on the verge of abandoning God. I wanted to reject Him. I'd say honestly. But God never abandoned me. That is why I'm here serving today. It's so wonderful to know that God is always with you through the good times and also the bad. Friends, let me encourage you to get out of your comfort zone a bit and get out and have a go. Have a go at telling people about Jesus. If you're not already doing it, do it. You will know and experience the presence of Jesus in a way that you never ever experienced before. You know, I still remember the first time I went out and did street outreach when I was a young teenager. This is not the time in cross, Crossroads, Annie and Rick. A street evangelist once challenged me to do this with him. Initially, I was not ready for it. I was actually very scared. Then one day, I don't know what overcame me. I went out on my own on a Sunday afternoon in front of Century Square Shopping Center in Singapore. I remember that very moment. I can still picture it in my head. I picked a random stranger, another young man that was sitting there quietly. I just went up to them and said, hey, can I share the four spiritual truths with you? There was a Bible track that we used. And believe it or not, 
We even prayed the prayer of faith that day. It was such a phenomenal experience. I was, I could, the joy was just overwhelming. Now for some of you who have served with me on crossroads in the past, where we proclaim the word of the Lord through worship songs and handing our Bible tracts distributions on the street, whilst we got some nasties along the way, I actually never felt threatened. When I was persecuted, I felt I, I wore a badge of honor because the person who got, tried to get nasty with me actually heard the gospel. He, albeit he didn't like it and decided to act up. But this is not to scare you because besides those nasty people, there were also many who were encouraging. Some were also surprisingly open to the gospel. I recall a Muslim man who said, he was approached over three times by our team. And it made him curious to find out about this Jesus that we're proclaiming. That he actually attended the Alpha course at the city church after those encounters. To conclude, how should we respond to God's great commission? Well, friends, we cannot experience what God has truly planned for us if we choose to sit in our comfort zone and do nothing. He wants us to go because He has all authority. He wants us to reach all nations. He wants us to teach all things to all people. And wonderfully, He's with us all the days of our age, of our lives. You know, it's great that as a church, we're doing something positive and making donations to organizations that help promote God's work and God's name. And it's wonderful that despite being a small congregation, we still support missionaries overseas. Keep it up. It's great work. But as a church, we need to be devoted to our vision also to help people know Jesus, to grow in Him, and to make Him known. If you're not already doing this, or you're looking for ideas, do it a bit more, or to do it a bit more, sorry, let me encourage you with these three things. First, start where you are. God has already put you in a place. You have already gone. The going bit is done in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your families, etc., be proud to identify yourself as a Christian. It doesn't mean that you stand up there and start waving, flag. I'm a Christian, look at here. No. You can do something simple by even maybe putting a, leaving your Bible on your desk, not being afraid to show your Bible in your workplace or to show that you're reading your Bible in the workplace or at home. That might be a good conversation starter. Or maybe tomorrow when somebody says to you, uh, what did you do on the weekend? Instead of the usual, not much. Maybe you could say, well, I went to church and I learned something new about God. Or I really had a good conversation with somebody on Sunday about Jesus. And then just take the conversation wherever you go. Another thing you could possibly do is read Sam Chan's book. This is the book here about reaching others with the gospel and learn how to talk about Jesus without being that guy. In his book, he talks about coffee, dinner, and gospel. And if you don't want to buy the book, we can actually borrow the book because it's in the library over there. 
in the next room, in the chapel hall. If you want to reach someone, why don't we have a coffee and have a bit of a chat? Get to know them. If you got to know them, maybe invite them over for dinner or catch up outside for a meal and have a chat. Then slowly start sharing the good news of Jesus with them through your life. The third thing is to be the unofficial chaplain in your apartment block or your village or your street or your workplace. Whenever someone is in a tight spot or going through a tough time, offer to pray with them and for them. If it's appropriate, maybe even pray with them. For example, I had a privilege of helping two non-believing friends go through a very rough season of their marriage. I was their counselor, their prayer and emotional support. I was their lightning rod when they told me about the challenges that they had with one another. I offered no judgment or criticism, but just prayed for them and emotionally supported them. It was good to see them doing so much better now. Share Jesus with them. Share your life with them. Share how the good news of Jesus has made a difference in your own life. Your personal testimony is the most powerful tool you have in your arsenal to share the gospel with someone else. And I can't emphasize that enough. Friends, there are great opportunities for us to do this in our church and in our community. If you're not comfortable talking, maybe just invite them to church events or even a church service. Don't say no. Don't say that they won't come before you even ask. You know, I once invited my boss to our South African night short-term mission trip fundraiser. It was a ticketed, ticketed event. That is, you actually have to pay to come. And he actually purchased a ticket. And he came. And he enjoyed it. After the event, he came up to me and said, that was great. And it was, glad to, and it was great to see what you guys are doing for these South African kids. Friends, Jesus is with us as we go. And his work with the person you are sharing the gospel with is already happening. So let's pray. Let's ask for his help to fulfill this great commission. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for using us as part of your great mission and trusting us, broken, frail vessels, to do your great work. We pray, dear Lord, that you help us to be bold, to be willing, to be moved by what you have done and to acknowledge your authority and have the courage to go up to wherever that you've inspired in our hearts to speak the gospel to. Help us, dear Lord, to be your salt and light and your tower on the hill that cannot be hidden so that those who are at the footsteps of hell can turn back to the light. Those who are at the brink of eternal damnation 
have a hope that there is salvation. Challenge us, Lord. Put a person in our hearts right now that you want us to share the gospel with. Help us to start by even just praying for this person. And open us up. Give us the courage to share our life and our testimony with them. So that they too can see how Jesus has impacted us. And how Jesus could impact them in their situation. Thank you God for your word. Thank you God for your death and resurrection on the cross. For without it, there will be no hope. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.